Would you pray with me, please? Abba, Father, we have gathered here this morning to worship you. We have done that through singing songs of worship. We have done that through the giving of our tithes and offerings. We have done that through the reading of your holy word. And now, Lord, comes the time to hear the word of the Lord proclaimed that we may learn from it, but how can we as humans with our finite capacities understand the infinite wisdom of God? Only through the help of your Holy Spirit can we truly unpack your Holy Word to impact our lives. So I pray that I would get out of the way today, that we would see Christ, that we would learn how we as a people here at Faith Church can boldly stand for the truth of God. We pray this in your name, in your, for your sake alone. Amen. Well, it's good to be back with you again in this pulpit. I've missed being here. I want to thank Pastors Joey and Jeff for allowing me to come this morning. They've also given me the privilege of ending their series, Looking Forward, as I preach the eighth message in this series of the transition at Faith Church of Tom starting out looking back and then pastors Joey and Jeff having us look forward. And as a previous pastor of this church, as a current elder, that's on my heart. That's where we're going as a church, and so that's what I want to share with you. We're going to be starting in 1 Kings 16 today, which is on page 351 in the Bible in the chair in front of you if you want to turn there. But we'll be concentrating on the passage that Margie read, 1 Kings 22. <clears throat> as you are probably well aware, as of today, we are 37 days into the first 100 days of Donald Trump's presidency. And the question I'd like to ask this morning is, how are you doing? If you voted for Trump, you're probably feeling pretty good, maybe even somewhat elated. If you didn't, you're probably feeling bad and maybe even somewhat depressed or maybe even angry. Now, I must admit that I've been a presidential election junkie since Dwight Eisenhower ran against Adlai Stevenson in 1956. How many of you remember that? I think I'm going to get more hands in this service than the next service. <laughs> this last election was unlike any of the 16 that I have seen in the last 60 years. The divisiveness, the vitriol, the anger, the lack of civility on both sides wore us down to the point that most of us just wanted to turn off our TVs and stop following our Facebook accounts. Amen? You know, neither presidential candidate was really very popular with the American people. Most voters, it came down to simply a choice between the lesser of two evils, or as one Christian commentator said, it seems like I had to choose between Ahab and Jezebel. Well, Ahab and Jezebel are in our passage today. Regardless of who won, 
We can all be reassured, though, that this election didn't catch God by surprise. Last time I checked, he's still on his throne, and he's still in ultimate control. Amen? Let's face it. This election showed us that our country is very, very divided. I mean, half of the people voted for one candidate, and about half voted for the other candidate. So we're very divided politically, but we're very divided in many other ways. We're divided financially. Between the haves and the have-nots, the 1% and the 99%ers. We're divided morally on issues such as abortion and homosexual rights and sanctity of marriage. We're divided racially. Black lives matter. Blue lives matter. All lives matter. We're divided politically on issues such as the national debt, climate change, health care, immigration, terrorism, and how to confront these issues. And we're divided religiously. The fight for religious freedom in our country. The principles of Islam versus Christianity. Belief versus atheism. Religion versus secularism. And guess what? This last election isn't going to solve all those issues. No president or government can solve these divisions between us, but Christ can, and he eventually will. Therefore, our faith must always remain in him above any political party or human government. Amen? This election is over, but the work for us is just beginning because once again, we are being called by God to go into our secular culture as ambassadors for Christ. As citizens of a foreign land to speak the truth of our King Jesus to a divided America that obviously and desperately needs him. So how are we as Christ ones supposed to live in this post-election secular culture? Well, there are many ways we could answer that question, but I'm going to propose one from studying our text today, and that one way for us is to live is to speak God's truth with boldness whenever we have a chance to do so. As our society becomes more and more secular and moves farther and farther away from God and his truth, will we retreat into our holy huddles, our churches, and try and protect the truth of God? Will we become faint-hearted, timid, meek, and fearful in proclaiming the gospel? Or will we have the fortitude, the backbone, the fearlessness, the bravery and boldness to speak God's truth to the inhospitable world in which we live. Where can we find such fortitude, such backbone, such fearlessness, such bravery, such boldness? Are there any examples in the Bible from which we can learn how to be bold? Well, of course there are. There are many well-known names. Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, Elijah, 
Jeff preached on Jeremiah last week, Nehemiah, John the Baptist, Peter, Paul, Stephen, Jesus, and Micaiah. Who? <laughs> Micaiah. Who is that? Well, Micaiah is a little-known prophet who risked his life to boldly speak God's truth to his society. We find his story in 1 Kings today. For context, uh, Jeff had us in Jeremiah last week with a letter to the exiles. This happens about 250 years earlier than then with a divided kingdom between Israel to the north and Judah to the south. Our story starts in 1 Kings 16 where we are introduced to the new king of the northern tribe of Israel, Ahab the son of Omri. You've probably heard the saying like father, like son, and how true that is. Because in verse 25, chapter 16, it says, His father Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did more evil than all who were before him. And then when we're introduced to Ahab in verse 30, it says exactly the same thing. Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. This following in the father's footsteps is even captured in the name Ahab, which means resembling the father. That's what his name means. His very name suggests that this acorn didn't fall far from the tree. Well, in verse 31, we learn that he married Jezebel, a foreigner, a Phoenician princess who worshipped the false god Baal, not Yahweh, the God of Israel. In fact, the name of Jezebel comes from a cultic cry and worship of Baal, meaning, where is Baal? On somewhat of a humorous note, when you translate her name into Hebrew, it comes out as dung or manure. We also learn that not only did Ahab marry Jezebel, but he also joined her in her worship of Baal. He even built a temple to Baal in the capital city of Samaria. Verse 33 of chapter 16 summarizes his actions by saying this, Ahab made an Asherah, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Ahab is a very bad man. Ahab and Jezebel were a very, very bad couple. Jumping ahead to chapter 21 for some more context, we find the story of Ahab and Naboth and Naboth's vineyard. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to summarize it. Right outside the, the gate of the palace in the capital city of Samaria was a beautiful vineyard, a beautiful garden that belonged to a man by the name of Naboth. And Ahab loved walking by that garden, and one day the king decided he wanted that garden. So he went to Naboth and he said, give me your garden. And Naboth inquired of the Lord and said, no, the Lord does not want me to give it to you. Well, the king got depressed. He didn't like that answer. Most people don't say no to the king. So he goes back to the palace and he's moping around the palace, and Jezebel notices he's in a bad mood. Ever been there, ladies, with your husband? Just kind of moping around. What's wrong? Well, Naboth won't give me that garden. So Jezebel 
Get some people together and say, I want you to go and make some false charges against Naboth, saying that he has spoken against the king and he has blasphemed the Lord. And they did that, and they put him on trial, found him guilty, and they stoned Naboth to death. And Jezebel took the garden, the vineyard, and gave it to her husband, King Ahab. These are the kind of people that we're dealing with as we now come to our chapter, chapter 22, where we find in the first 28 verses, Micaiah's stand for, for the truth. Let's look at verse 1, start in verse 1. For three years, Syria and Israel continue without war. Uh, because of what happened with Naboth's garden, Elisha came and spoke against Ahab and, and said, you need to repent of this. But he also said that someday, because of what you've done, you're going to die and your blood's going to be licked up by dogs, Ahab. Well, Ahab repented somewhat, and so we come to a point now where there's three years of peace in the land. But that doesn't sit well with King Ahab, because he's a warrior king. He likes to conquer people. And so after three years, he's getting restless. So it says in verse 2, in the third year, Jehoshaphat. Now, Jehoshaphat is the king of the southern tribe of Judah, and he and Ahab are in-laws. They're children married. How would you like to have Ahab and Jezebel as your in-laws? That would be some great family gatherings, wouldn't it? Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth-Gilead belongs to us, and we keep quiet and do not take it out of the hand of the king of Syria? They had won Ramoth-Gilead through a treaty many years before, but they had never conquered it. And Ahab's looking for something to do, so let's, let's go conquer Ramoth-Gilead. And he asked Jehoshaphat, will you go with me? He says to Jehoshaphat in verse 4, will you go with me to battle at Ramoth-Gilead? Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Sounds somewhat like Naomi to Ruth. I will go where you go, my people are your people. Well, Jehoshaphat, being a good king and being a follower of Yahweh, in verse 5 said to the king of Israel, inquire first for the word of the Lord. Don't you think we should ask God what he thinks? Don't you think we should see if he really wants us to do this, King Ahab? Verse 6, so the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, and understand, these are the prophets of Baal, these are the false prophets, but he gathers them together. Shall I go to battle against Ramoth-Gilead, or shall I refrain? Well, what are you going to say to the king if you're a prophet? <laughs> You've just seen what he did to Naboth. And we have an interesting group think here. 400 people unanimously agree and say, go up. For the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Groupthink and peer pressure. No one dares speak against the king. Verse 7, but Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? Isn't there a real prophet of Yahweh around here that we can ask? Verse 8, and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Well, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, 
the son of Imlah, but I hate him. He never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. Why do we want to ask that guy? He never tells me what I want to hear. I mean, in my realm, I make the plans, and then I ask my prophets, and they bless my plans. I don't ever have to go to God and say, what should I do, God? Well, Jehoshaphat said, I think, I think we better find someone. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. Don't speak like that against a true prophet of Yahweh. Verse 9, then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah, the son of Imlah. Verses 10 to 12, the two kings put on their royal robes. They have a big party. They're waiting, and uh, the prophets come before them and tell them, you're great, you're great. Oh, great king, go. He's going to give you the victory. Go, go, go. The group think is still there. Verse 13. The messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the Lord with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. Micaiah, you better give the blessing to this attack. Don't make waves. Don't upset the apple cart. Go along with the group think. Well, what would you do if you were Micaiah? I mean, this is Ahab and Jezebel we're talking about. They always get their way. They take what they want. They killed Naboth to get his vineyard. They put out a death threat against Elijah when he spoke against them. You better be careful, Micaiah. Don't be too bold in your answer. Tone it down. Don't rock the boat. Don't be too bold in your answer. Your life may be on the line. We come to the key verse in our passage today that Margie read. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. There is an example of fortitude. There is an example of backbone, of fearlessness, of bravery, of boldness, regardless of the consequences, I must speak the truth of God. Verse 15, and when he had come to the king, they brought him to the king. The king said, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we refrain? And he answered him, go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? The king must have noticed that Micaiah was being somewhat sarcastic or using irony here, satirical with him. Because, oh yeah, go ahead. That's what your prophets are telling you. Go ahead. He recognizes that he's not really telling him what the Lord wants him to hear. So he tells him the truth in verse 17. I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master, let each return to his home in peace. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means, Ahab, if you go, you're going to die. You are the shepherd of Israel, as the king. And if you go, the people are going to be without a shepherd. So yeah, go ahead if you want to, but 
The Lord says you will die. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that we would not, he would not prophesy good according to me, but evil? I hate this guy. Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw another vision. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one thing and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord saying, I will entice him. The Lord said to him, by what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, you are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. Zedekiah came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek. How did the Spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? He's taking it personally. How did that Spirit convince me to come get you? Micaiah said, Behold, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide yourself. The king of Israel said, Seize Micaiah. Take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come in peace. Micaiah said, If you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Hear all you peoples. Micaiah boldly and fearlessly proclaims that the Proof of his prophecy will be in the pudding. If you go to war against the advice that the Lord has given to you through me and come back alive, then I was wrong. But if you go and don't come back safely as the shepherd of Israel, then what I spoke is proven to be true and you shall have not listened to God. Well, now we shift from Micaiah's bold stand for God's truth to Ahab's rejection of the truth. Verses 29 to the end of our chapter. Verse 29. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead, and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you wear your robes. (laughs) I mean, what a contrast between the boldness and courage of Micaiah and the cowardness now of Ahab. Well, you dress up so they think that you are me. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Verse 31. Now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots, fight with neither small nor great, but only with the king of Israel. Let's get the king of Israel. If you can get him and cut the head off of the snake, you're going to win the battle. And when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, it is surely the king of Israel. So they turned to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out, it's not, I'm not Ahab. <laughs> when the captain of the chariot saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. But a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel, Ahab, between the scale armor and the breastplate. 
Random? Coincidence? Or consequence of not listening to God's truth? Therefore he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and carry me out of the battle, for I am wounded. And the battle continued that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians. Until at evening he died, and the blood of the wound flowed into the bottom of the chariot. And about sunset a cry went through the army, every man to his city and every man to his country. So the king, Ahab, died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. And they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood, exactly as I, Elijah had prophesied in chapter 21, 19, would be the outcome of Ahab. Micaiah was faced with a difficult choice. How should he respond to an evil king who had the power to take his life? Should he play it safe, go along with the group think and peer pressure and tell the king what he wanted to hear? Or should he speak God's truth to the king and trust God for the outcome? It's obvious King Ahab didn't like hearing the truth. He had turned away from the true God and had followed the false God of his wife. He surrounded himself with false prophets who told him what he wanted to hear. He didn't want to be accountable to God for his actions. And when he couldn't get what he coveted, he pouted to the point that his wife committed murder so he could take away Naboth's vineyard. When Micaiah spoke boldly the truth of God to Ahab, he rejected it. He came up with a flawed plan to trick the enemy and suffered the consequences of not listening to the word of God by losing his very lifeblood. The royal blood of the king of Israel was licked up by stray dogs because he wouldn't listen to God's truth, which had been so boldly proclaimed by one man who chose to go against the crowd. Now let's face it. You and I are not in the same class of Micaiah. God hasn't chosen you or I to be a prophet to the king of Israel. We will probably never have the chance to speak truth to someone in that kind of a leadership role. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to boldly speak his truth to our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, our fellow students, and our culture. Micaiah serves as a great example to us of how we must live and speak to a secular culture. We must speak God's truth to our American culture. We must do so with fortitude, Backbone, fearlessness, bravery, and boldness. Big idea today, we must speak God's truth with boldness. But how do we do that in today's world? Well, before I retired from faith, I had the privilege of helping with our strategic tag process, and we as elders and staff developed our new directional vision statement, which says this, be informed and winsome ambassadors of Christ to our secular culture. That's what we're trying to do in the years ahead as we look forward. To understand that statement better, let's unpack some of those words. Secular, what does secular mean? Well, it tends to mean non-religious or a-religious or worldly, and our society is becoming more like that every day. And to reach that culture, we must be three things. We must be informed. We can't speak 
the truth of God to others unless we know the truth of God. So we need to be informed, but we also need to be ambassadors. I mean, we chose these words very carefully. We argued about them for hours. Ambassadors, an accredited accredited diplomat sent by a king as his official representative to a foreign country. And then the word winsome. I'll never forget the night we were meeting and someone used the word winsome and we all went, aha, that's what we're looking for. Winsome, meaning attractive or appealing in appearance or character. To reach our society, which is becoming more and more secular, we must see ourselves as ambassadors of King Jesus and we must conduct ourselves in ways that are attractive and winsome. Or as I like to say, we need to be winsome to win some to Christ. So how do we do that? How do you do that? How do I do that where God has called us to live? Well, first there are some things we shouldn't do. We shouldn't retreat into our churches and holy huddles and build walls to protect the truth and protect ourselves from our culture. We shouldn't throw lob gospel bombs over the walls trying to hit people with the gospel, or berate our neighbors with angry megaphone messages or condemnations and demands for repentance. We shouldn't go along to just get along and become like our society. And we shouldn't make up the truth. We better make sure we're proclaiming God's truth and not our truth. So what should we do as we seek to speak God's truth with boldness, but in a way that is winsome. Well, I've come up with three commands from Christ in Scripture that I think help us learn this. The first is in Ephesians 4.15. We must always speak the truth in love. As I look around today, it seems like almost every day there's a protest going on somewhere. People carrying signs, people yelling at one another. And sadly, some of the protests are violent with people getting hurt, property being damaged, and the police being attacked. Now, this isn't new to me, personally. I've been a protester. I've protested on National Right to Life Sundays at our church up in Highland with the Right to Life people in our community as we lined the roads with signs, not yelling at people, just holding signs, protesting our country's laws on abortion. I know this full well because I've also been protested against. As a product of the Vietnam War protests, I was personally spit on and yelled at when I wore my U.S. Army uniform on my college campus. I'm a firm believer in the right to protest in our right to free speech. In fact, when I joined the army, I gave an oath that I would literally give my life to defend the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and the freedoms we enjoy in America. But it seems to me that not many of the protests we are witnessing today are being done in love. People are yelling at each other so loudly that no one is listening to the other side. Back in the 80s, I had the privilege of helping charter a new Christian businessmen's committee in Cedar Rapids. As a Christian, new Christian businessman, we formed the committee and we came up with the idea that it would be great 
once a month to have a lunch at a very nice restaurant in downtown Cedar Rapids, and that we businessmen would invite our non-Christian friends who were businessmen to a luncheon, and we would have one of the men in our group share their testimony and share how Christ helped him in his business life. And so we would individually invite businessmen to go. And I'll never forget <laughs> the first meeting we had was at a very nice restaurant downtown on the corner of one of the busiest intersections of Cedar Rapids. I went to my friend's office. He agreed to go with me. I showed up. We started walking over to the restaurant. And much to my chagrin, on the corner of 2nd Avenue and 2nd Street, was an evangelical, quote, quote, pastor, street preacher, with these two things in his hand. And as we walked to that intersection, he's screaming at people, Repent, you sinners! You're going to hell! And he was literally berating people. And I'm walking along with this guy thinking, oh, great. Isn't this going to be fun? What's he going to think of us now <laughs> as these Christ ones? Now, I couldn't argue against the truth of what the man was saying. He wasn't saying anything that wasn't biblical. <laughs> they were sinners. They needed to repent, and they were on their way to hell. But was he doing it in love? If I remember correctly, that was a very awkward meeting that day, and I don't know if that, that guy ever returned my phone call again. I prayed for him. We saw many men come to Christ through that ministry, but that opened my eyes that day. I don't think that was a winsome approach. Perhaps there's a better way for us. Perhaps instead of carrying protest signs, attacking others, and yelling through megaphones, we need to live such lives of love that people are attracted both to our stand for God's truth and our method for sharing that truth. Like Micaiah, we must boldly stand for God's truth, but we almost always have to do it with love. Second command from Christ, Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine: we must love your neighbors as yourself. Pastor Jeff did a great job last Sunday sharing how we are to love our neighbors and bless our city. If you did not hear that message, you need to go online and listen to it. Because we need to start in our neighborhoods with our neighbors. How well do you know your neighbors? If I asked your neighbors, would they view you, would they use the word winsome to describe you? Do you look at your neighborhood as the mission field that God has called you to? If all we are doing is protesting by carrying signs and yelling, repent, you sinners, our secular culture is going to quit listening to us. One of our elders posted an article by Don Carson on Facebook this week, and I really enjoyed this quote from the article. When you're busy hating everybody and denouncing everybody and seeking political solutions to everything, it's very difficult to evangelize, isn't it? It's very hard to be compassionate, to look on the crowds as though they're sheep 
without a shepherd. Have you heard that anywhere before? Sheep without a shepherd? Our secular culture isn't our enemy. They don't know any better. I didn't know any better until I came to know Christ. They're simply a sheep without a shepherd. They need Jesus. That leads us to our third command. We must love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We're a divided country politically, but that doesn't mean that those who disagree with us are our enemies. Christianity is under attack throughout the world. The 2016 International Religious Freedom Report tells us that Christians are the most persecuted religious group worldwide. An average of 180 Christians are killed every month now for their faith around the world. More than 60 countries, Christians face persecution from their own government. I heard two reports this last week that ISIS is promising to increase its attacks on Christians in Egypt. And I saw pictures this week of Christians leaving churches in France last Sunday being attacked by angry mobs. We are not suffering that kind of persecution here in America yet. But there have been and will continue to be attacks on our religious freedoms here in our homeland. So again, we must... We must learn to boldly stand for God's truth, but if we take the viewpoint that we're in a war and they're the enemy, then we're not loving our enemy and we're not praying for our enemies, are we? So to recap these three commands from Christ to us, we must be winsome ambassadors of Christ who speak the truth in love, love our neighbors, and pray for our enemies. Well, how do we flesh that out? Well, I can't tell you how you need to do it. You have to decide that. I have to figure out how I'm going to do it. I'm trying to become more conscious of the choices that I make, to be more like Micaiah and be willing to risk my life for God's truth in ways that are winsome and attractive to my neighbors and my enemies. I've been praying that God would show me how I can be a better neighbor to my neighbors. And recently he's been answering that prayer. Sadly, during this past presidential election, I've been stereotyped and labeled as one of the greatest dangers to our society today. You know why? I'm told that it's because I'm an old white guy. And therefore, many people who don't even know me categorize me and dismiss me as a racist, a homophobe, a misogynist, a fascist, and a dinosaur, just because of my age and my skin color. Now, I, I, I know that these descriptive terms couldn't be farther from the truth about me as a person. But we're living in a time that once you're mislabeled by someone, others will believe it whether you tell them it's not true. Well, the neighborhood that Jeannie and I have moved into 12 years ago here is becoming more and more racially diverse. Many more African-American and Hispanic families have been moving into our neighborhood. We now have literally hundreds of children playing in our street <laughs> of mixed color everywhere. 
And we had a dear family moving next door to us with five precious little black children. So I decided I want to be a winsome ambassador to them. Because I want those kids to grow up knowing that there's one white man that's not a racist. I want to show them that our skin colors don't have to divide us. And so I'm trying to learn now in my changing neighborhood as an old dinosaur how to change my ways and become more winsome to winsome. I can't tell you what you need to do, but ask God to show you how you can become more winsome in order to win some. America is experiencing some dark times due to our societal divisions and secularized culture. I'm convinced that God is still on his throne. He has great plans for how the gospel of Jesus Christ can heal our land better than any candidate or government that we elect. And you and I get to be part of this gospel movement of God. This movement will require us to double our commitment and our efforts as individuals and as a church. So let's commit today to be more like Micaiah, people who are called to boldly speak God's truth to secular America. Let's do it boldly, but let's do it in a loving way. Amen? Faith Church is a group of people of faith who believe in God and the truth of his word. People called to be missionaries and ambassadors to our secular society. We do that by being informed and by being winsome. So let's commit today to be more like Micaiah, speaking God's truth with boldness, speaking God's truth with love, loving our neighbors and praying for our enemies as informed ambassadors of Jesus Christ to a secular culture. Let's be more winsome so we can win some more. Let's pray. Father, interesting story about a not very well-known prophet in the Old Testament who risked his life to take a stand for you. Lord, you haven't called many of us in America today to do that, to put our life on the line, but we're called each day to put your reputation on the line as Christ ones. Use me in my neighborhood, Lord, to break down some walls, racial walls in my neighborhood. I don't know how to do that very well, so you show me, Lord. And I pray that you would show my brothers and sisters here where they can do that at work or at school, or in their neighborhoods, in their family. Lord, help us become so winsome in our walk with you that people are attracted, not to us, but to our message of Jesus Christ. And then give us the boldness to speak his truth so that more can be one and more can see Christ and come to know him. So a blessing on these people as they go this week. Help them be winsome to winsome. In Christ's name. Amen.